Hello, everybody. This is John Evans. Uh, I am the host of the Uncensored CMO podcast. And the positively lovely Joe Glover asked me uh, recently to come to one of his amazing uh, live events, actually, and uh, do a talk on the 10 things I wish I knew when I was 25. Now, for an old man like me, that is almost half a lifetime away. Uh, yes, hard to believe, but uh, 25 does feel some time ago. Um but it's one of those questions that genuinely really got me thinking. And it's not often that you spend time reflecting on uh, on your life and uh, what you could have done differently. And it, it really was a great question. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed answering it. And um, certainly if the reaction on the, on the night was anything to go by, uh, hopefully a few other people did as well. So the wonderful Joe asked me whether I would record this and uh, make it available as a podcast episode. Um, it's a slightly meta idea of one podcast podcaster uh, leaving a monologue for another podcast. But anyway, uh, leaving that oddity aside, um, this is my reflection on 10 things I wish I knew when I was 25. Um, just to introduce me, uh, if you don't know uh, who I am, my name is John Evans. Uh, I'm the host of the Uncensored CMO podcast uh, by night and by day I am Chief Customer Officer at System One. System One is the ad testing platform. So anyone out there that's got an ad that wants to test, you know where to go. Um, but before that, actually, I've spent most of my career in marketing client side. Um, so I spent about 25 years doing marketing of various sorts, uh, mostly in drinks, actually, um, and a mix of challenger brands and established brands. So, you know, I've known what it is to have a lot in terms of budget. And I've also known what it's like to have nothing and have to scrap as a, as a startup. So um, it's given me, a, I suppose, a unique kind of position to see the world from many different perspectives in marketing. And really what I care about is the taking the theory and turning it into practice. And uh, that's what I try and do on my show. And I know that's what Joe does amazingly well in the marketing meetup meetings. Um, anyway, without further ado, let me share with you the 10 things I wish my 25 year old, 25 year old self knew. Um, the first one is this. Take the shot. I don't know who said this, but there was a quote. I think it was a golfer. Um, you know, you, you, you know, you, you win, you, you, you lose a hundred percent of the shots you never take or something like that. Anyway, I'm sure someone listening can correct me on uh, who said that. But the reason I say take the shot is um, I have never felt quite good enough uh, or worthy enough to start my own business. And it's a weird thing. But I, I guess as I look back, I've always thought there was one more thing I had to do. There was one more experience I had to get or there's a little bit more credibility that I need. And I suppose what looking back, actually, I think I should have just taken the shot anyway, because very often with these things is you actually learn by doing. And it's it's almost not possible to have everything lined up and ready, um, you know, before you go. And, and it's so easy, I think, to talk yourself down from really going for it. The other thing I'd say as well is, you know, as I look in my look back in my late 40s, um, life really does take over. And it seems to get faster and faster the older you get. And although you think in your 20s, I've got so much time, I tell you what, it goes fast. And, you know, you know, you get married, you have kids, you get a mortgage, you move house, uh, you know, the kids have friends, they go to school. Um, life just takes over. And, and I think 
the more of response, the more responsibility you get, uh, the less you feel able to take the shot. I, I mean, apart from anything else, you know, it can feel like the financial risk gets greater because suddenly the wage you need to take out of the business gets gets a lot higher, or the savings you're risking gets greater. So, I genuinely wish that in my twenties, I just backed that business idea I had and just gave it a shot. And the other thing as well, um, and I remember this when I went into private equity, um, they, 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 they said to me after, the, by the way, this is after the first deal that I did in private equity, you always make your money on the second deal. And I was like, well, you could have told me that beforehand, couldn't you? But actually, um, there is some truth in that, that very often successful entrepreneurs um, it's not their first business that succeeds. There are, there are a few examples of that, but actually most entrepreneurs, although they're not very well known for their prior failure, if you actually read their autobiographies, you look at what they've done, it's very often two or three or four or five businesses that they've tried and failed at. And really what I'd encourage you to do is get that out of the way, you know, start, you know, the sooner you start, the sooner you can learn and the sooner you'll find the thing that is really going to take off and be a success. So let's start with that. Number one, please take the shot and just go for it. Now, number two um, is use your network. Your network is like this massive, great amplifier that will help you reach more people. Um, think of it as like some kind of mega 10x uh, megaphone that's just going to, you know, get you out there. And I, I tell you the the story that made me realize perhaps for the first time quite how powerful a network can be. I, I spent... Um, uh, 13, 14 years working for a large soft drink business. And uh, at the end of it, at the end of my time there, I wanted to, to go and buy some brands myself because I thought I'm sick and tired of making other people money and I want to finally make it myself. So um, I ventured out uh, and I wanted to get, in, get into the private equity space because that's where, you know, that's where basically entrepreneurs get funding from private investment houses and they get an opportunity to accelerate their growth. And um, I had a small problem. I did not know a single person in private equity, absolutely none. And I thought, how on earth do I you know, get into this sector? And there was a clue in the title. It's called private equity. It's not called public equity. It's called private equity. And they, they tend to be rather, you know, kind of closed shops. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed, but there's rarely an advert for, uh, you know, come and apply for our fund and we'll make your business successful. Um, and so I did something rather unusual. I went to a reverse headhunter. I think that's what they call them. Anyway, the idea was it was a headhunter that you pay, not the client pays, you pay to help place you in the right part of the market. Now, I went for the consultation at the free, I would say, the free consultation meeting to find out more. And I remember the lady at the time said something that really stood out to, stood out to me. She said, I bet you in your contact list, right now in your phone today is the name of somebody that knows someone who works in private equity. And I remember leaving thinking, nah, I, you know, I, I think, you know, th th there's no chance that I know someone who knows someone. Um, but on the train on the way home, I just scrolled through my, uh, my contact list. And you know what? It only took me until C. And I got to C and I went, damn it, Chris, of course, Chris has sold a business. He was private equity backed. He might know. Now, the irony of the story is 
at the time, Chris was actually working in my team. I mean, it's unbelievable to say it now, um, but he was right, literally right under my nose. And we spoke every day and we got on like a house on fire. And for some reason, I hadn't even connected the dots. Anyway, I immediately messaged Chris and said, listen, mate, I want to buy a brand. Um, I want to get some private equity funding. Tell me what to do. And he immediately sent me back the contact details for the top three people in London that he would go and speak to. And you're not going to believe this story, but the very first one I called said yes to a meeting. And within two weeks, I'd got a deal. I mean, I know it sounds crazy and you think, well, surely it never happens like that. But genuinely, it happened. The time from me going, oh, I want to work in private equity to actually having a deal um, was was a matter of weeks. And it, and it took me one phone call and the first referral. Uh, it's amazing. So I think ever since that point, I realized that actually your network is incredibly powerful. And over the years, I cannot tell you how many times um, my network has come, you know, come to good use. I'll give you one more example, actually, which is um, quite relevant. I, I, I was a CMO for a, uh, a, a large soft drink business uh, and back in sort of 2017, 2018. Sadly, got fired. And that's a topic of another podcast. But anyway, um, I got fired from that role. And I suddenly found myself out in the job market, um, you know, with zero notice, I mean, literally fired on a Friday, you know, out of work on a Monday. And um, I remember thinking, how on earth am I going to get another job? Because CMO roles are very, very far and few between. And they're very rarely advertised as well. And I met someone uh, who works at an agency that I use. And he said his wife had a an approach when she was in a similar situation to create her own 100-day plan. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And, and, you know, as someone who had suddenly gone from being ridiculously busy to literally all the time on you know on my hands that I could cope with I thought that's a great idea and the idea was not just a hundred day plan it was a meet a hundred people in a hundred days I thought oh that's that's a bit more challenging but anyway what, what I and I, I decided to build on this idea a little bit so I thought I'm going to try and meet a hundred people in a hundred days now they have to be relevant of course to my job search but everyone I meet I'm going to ask them one question and that one question is Tell me the names of three people that you think I should meet and for whom you'd be willing to introduce me. And I was blown away, genuinely blown away by the generosity of people because I'd been in corporate life for a long time. And I hate to say this, but honestly, in corporate life, most people you work with want to see you fail. Now, maybe I've just been unlucky, but it's amazing the amount of people that take pleasure in seeing you stumble and fall. But what I realized when I was outside the corporate bubble and working, you know, networking amongst startups, amongst private investment funds, you know, people that own, own and run agencies, the generosity was amazing. And I think it was because people, when you meet people and you explain your story, everyone's willing to help. And I was amazingly blessed by people's generosity and in fact I only made it to day 65 before I uh you know before I had before I took a job so it just goes to show that um if you put yourself out there introduce yourself to people and ask people for favors it's amazing amazing how far that'll take you um a friend of mine Matt actually coined this phrase once called uh trust transfer and what he what he explained was that actually when someone introduces you what they're doing is they're transferring the trust they have in you to them and it's quite a powerful thing so 
if you imagine your best friend says to you, oh, you've got to meet, you know, this guy called John, he's amazing, right? The chances are you're going to listen to her, aren't you? And go, oh, actually, well, if you say that, I'm I'm definitely going to, you know, go and speak to him. And that's, that's what networking is all about. It's about transferring the trust one person has in another to somebody else. And it's incredibly powerful. And again, if you think about, you know, you in your jobs, when someone calls you out of the blue, let's say a cold caller trying to sell you something, how often have you ever picked up the phone? I, I genuinely have never. I mean, you know, cold emails, cold calls, I ignore all of them. Uh, I just find it so annoying. And yet, if someone phones you up and says, you know what, I know this person you should meet, nine times out of 10, I will do it. And that's the power of network. So really, really use your network. It's it's incredibly powerful. Number three. So my number three tip, uh, going back to my 25-year-old self, uh, was actually inspired by an ad campaign that I worked on and one of the ones that I'm most proud of. And it's this, energy beats everything. And maybe you might have seen the campaign. I don't know, but if you're based in the UK, you may have done. But I was working on a, a huge brand in the UK called LucasAid. And LucasAid had gone through a massive transformation. It was the biggest reformulation in its 85-year history in response to the sugar tax being introduced in the UK. And we had a bit of a backlash, actually, because not everyone was happy with the fact we were reducing the amount of sugar in LucasAid. And sales went down quite sharply in the short term. And we had to uh, basically bounce back and reposition the brand. We we're working with a brilliantly talented team at, at Grey London, uh, one of the best teams I've ever worked with. Amazing strategist, amazing uh, account director and, and an incredible creative as well. Um, it really was yeah, an absolute dream team to work with them. And I've never experienced actually as much energy in, in a kind of creative presentation before. And uh, I remember the Caroline, who was ECD at the time, um, she was teasing me for, for days that I think I've come up with something, John. I think I've come up with something. I don't want to show you until I'm completely sure, but I think we've nailed it. And she just wrote down this post-it note and handed it to me. She had energy beats everything. And the idea she presented, which I absolutely loved, was if you think about any great success in, in life, it's it, it, it obviously comes down to talent, but it cannot be talent alone. You need an extra level of energy. And in fact, all the stories that we most you know love telling are when the underdog beats the favorite. Right. And always it's the energy that does it, isn't it? It's so, you know, if you're talented and lazy, you're going to go nowhere. But if you've got energy, energy can really overcome anything. And so I was very inspired by this kind of creative idea. And I just thought, what a brilliant analogy. And I think, uh, again, thinking about advice to your 25-year-old self, find what gives you energy and really focus on that. And, and look, I think there's some actual good science in this as well, that um, I think it was Gallup and Strength Finders uh, that, that they created a few years ago that basically identified that if you work with the thing that you're strongest at, it actually gives you energy. Whereas if you're trying to do the thing that's not natural to you, you're going to find it hard work and it's going to reduce your energy. And so much in, you know, in, in business, when we're having personal development conversations with our boss, it often focus on the th focus on the thing we're not good at. Instead, focus on what you're really good at. Find the thing you're good at because that's going to give you energy. Getting better and better and realizing that you are good at something and actually you're better than your peers, you're better than your competitors, you're better than anybody else in the world is a really exciting feeling. But really find that and put 
as much energy into something as possible. And I'll tell you the other reason to do that as well is, do you know what? Rubbish things will happen along the way. Like absolutely nobody who's ever tried uh, to be a success has done it without failing at some point. So you need the energy to pick you up on those bad days and carry on. So really, really find what gives you energy and put energy into it. That really links me to number four. And this is going to sound like a very, very odd learning. Um, But it's this fail fast and fail often. By doing that, you will learn what success is made of. Now, I know this is going to sound like a really odd thing. And look, if you spend your time on LinkedIn, you'll get a gazillion reasons, you know, to to, to win quickly and, to, you know, uh, grow very fast and to be successful in five steps. Um, what people don't tell you is the role of failure. And I would go as far as to say, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried, because the nature of progress, the nature of innovation, the nature of success means you will fail and you will probably fail many times. And actually, I once did a talk um, uh, to, to some colleagues a few years ago, and it was called My Five Biggest Failures. And it was quite funny because the, um, the company I was working for at the time had this thing called a learning festival. And I, I was on the executive team and each of us as an executive team had committed to deliver one training session uh, to staff on a topic that we knew a lot about. You know, so the finance director did, you know, you know how to do accountancy. The sales director did how to sell. And I, I just read Matthew Syed's uh, book on holiday called Black Box Thinking, which is all about what you learn from failure and how powerful that is. And so on holiday, I wrote, wrote in and said, oh, can I do mine on failure? Anyway, when I got back from holiday, I discovered that my session was oversubscribed by four times. <laughs> I think everyone was thinking, oh, wow. So one of our exec team wants to go and talk about what they failed at. And it was actually one of the most emotional meetings I've ever been in because two things happen, right? The first thing that happened is when I talked about failure, people got quite emotional. And, and the reason they got emotional was they realized that they weren't operating in a culture that accepts failure. It's almost embarrassing uh, to say that you failed and you feel a sense of shame. And actually, you shouldn't. What's important is you learn from it and you recognize that it can happen. You know, Nothing is entirely in our control. It can happen. But it's what you learn from it that matters. And we need to have that kind of psychological safety that allows us to fail and to learn and to grow and to get stronger. So that's the first thing I was it was incredibly emotional and a number of people in the in fact in the in the meeting were were visibly in tears the second thing was and and i kind of waited till the end to make this point is every failure preceded a period of great success if i look at my career in kind of peaks and troughs it was the time after failure that really accelerated success and i'll tell you why that was because when I failed, it made me so determined, so determined to succeed. It made me realize that you don't succeed unless you really understand what you're doing and you can't take anything for granted. It made me learn so much about the product or the brand I was working on. It made me focus my time on actually what matters, not on the politics, not on the organizational nonsense, but really on what matters. Because when you failed, it just gives you that visceral kind of focus and motivation to succeed. 
And I'll tell you one other thing, actually, that surprised me. Um, I, I, I had the honor of going out to Tel Aviv on an innovation tour, which is a fabulous few days, actually. And, and thank you. Uh, I think it was... Uh, I think it was Mediacom that set it up for me, uh, sort of for, for me. I mean, invited me along. I mean, it wasn't just for me. But one of the fascinating things was a guy there called Shlomo, who was the uh, founder of one of the biggest VCs in, in Tel Aviv and invests in lots of businesses. And I could have listened to him all day. I mean, honestly, the wisdom coming out from that man's mouth was just unbelievable. But the thing I remember the most was he was saying, when he comes to Europe, uh, and he talks to people in the West, they're ashamed of the businesses that have failed. And he said, in Israel, it's a badge of honor. In fact, he said, I will not invest in somebody that cannot bring me a business that has failed that they've run. And it's a strange cultural thing, but Israel has faced many challenges as a, you know, as a nation, they're attacked on all sides. And they all, you know, everybody has to go and do, I think, four years of national service. And they're taught how to uh, adapt to stressful conditions and how to turn failure into in, into victory, really. And he said it's a cultural, it's very, very much a cultural thing. But in business, that carries over in that failure is not a shameful thing. It's actually something to be celebrated and learned from. And I was profoundly struck by that because it is true, isn't it? In the West, particularly in the UK, I, may, I, I can't speak for other cultures, but there is that shame that comes with having fails. And, and, and I've seen people crushed genuinely crushed and you know kind of never their career never really recovers after a, a big failure so just to encourage you you know if you are you know in your early 20s you might not have you know you might not have failed particularly much but i'm telling you it's going to come and don't be afraid of it and and you know uh you know look it in the eye learn from it use it as fuel i mean turn that failure into fuel and uh, and use it to kind of supercharge your career so number five, uh, what lesson would I give my 25-year-old self? And uh, inspired by a colleague of mine, actually, that wrote a book called Look Out. And uh, this is my number five is look out, don't look in. And what I mean by that is um, there is a direct correlation in my career between the amount of time I spend outside of the business and the amount of success I have. And it's a really interesting thing, but... Um, I, I've probably in three or four times in my career, I've been in teams or managed brands that have enjoyed spectacular success. I mean, you know, double digit, uh, triple digit growth over a number of years. And in each of those scenarios, the one common theme is that I've prioritized the customer in that I've spent the most time with my customers, understanding their needs, uh, getting under the skin of what makes them tick and really understanding them. And it's funny, actually, but if you work in a big corporate organization, what you'll know is that the game is about looking in. The game is how good can I look? You know, how can I cover up the bad performance? How can I make myself look good? How do I play the politics? And actually, in big corporate life, perception trumps reality every single time. To an absurd level, in fact, you know, I've seen black as white and white as black in, in, you know, in the boardroom before people that have abject, you know, failed badly, but have just somehow managed to spin it in, in a positive way. And equally, I've seen people that have done a fantastic job, just not able to represent themselves well. But you know what? The game should never be about looking in. It should always be about looking out. And the success I've, I've had, the most success I've had 
has been those times when I've looked out. And it's funny, actually, because when you look out, when you're focused on the customer, suddenly you don't need that process. You don't need to write that plan. You know, you know, you don't need to do that research. You just know because you've spoken to 50 customers in the last five days. You know what the product needs to do. You know what the how the service needs to be better. It's just inherent. And so you get out from behind the desk and, you know, behind the computer screen and you will be so much more successful. So definitely, definitely spend time out and not just out from a customer point of view, but out in terms of networking. As I said before, the more time you spend outside your organization, get it, it helps you see things clearly. It helps you get inspiration from others. It helps you build your network as well. So not just from a you know performance of job point of view, but from your career. Um, again, looking out, don't look in is an incredibly powerful thing to do. So number six, what would I tell my 25-year-old self? Well, number six was decide who not just what you want to do. Now, the reason I say that is, and, and again, maybe this is an age thing, but the older I get, the more I want to work with people I like. And it sounds a little bit strange, maybe, but when you're younger, it's more about getting the experience. It's about proving yourself. It's about ticking a box. It's about, you know, kind of collecting as much, you know, as many stripes in your arm as you can. And I understand that. And I was like that. You know, I was, I want to be brand manager. I want to be senior brand manager. I want to be marketing manager. I want to be international marketing manager. You know, it, you know, I want to work on a big brand. I want to work on innovation. And, and of course that's right, because, you know, you need to get that experience. But there is a little secret to your success that people won't necessarily tell you. Who you've got in your team makes a massive, massive difference to the extent that I would say who you work with is greater than what you work on. And I know that sounds strange, but I would almost say I was probably 80-20. What I do matters more than who I work with. I'd now flip that the other way. I'd almost say decide on a team who you want to work with. And it doesn't matter what you're working on. It will be successful. And I think the reason for that is because the right mix of people inspire you. The right people have your back. The right people will, you know, uh, tell you honestly how it's going. Um, when you fall, they'll pick you up. They won't, you know, won't try and kick you when you're down. And they'll inspire you. And I, so I would really encourage you when you're thinking about that job application um, or you're in the interview or you're doing your research, maybe find out who it is you're going to be working for who it is you're going to work with, who it is going to work for you. Because I'm telling you who might just make a much bigger difference than what. And I'll also say as well, some of the relationships that I've you know picked up over my career, some of the really fantastic people early in my career are still friends now. And they're still influential in my career and they still introduce me to people. They still have my back. And actually, you know, getting that group of people around you that want you to succeed is incredibly important and so just encourage you think a lot and think carefully about who uh, number seven rather strange and I have to give credit to my daughter for this uh, I remember coming home one day chatting about uh, this is a, a little while ago chatting about um, what happened at work and getting a bit upset and and Emily my eldest daughter came up and said daddy block the haters <laughs> so um you know, and and actually it really helped, actually. And I thought, yes, um, 
it's quite easy and again you know maybe hopefully you're more robust than I am and maybe you're tougher than me but I I found that sometimes the hate you get can get me down and actually you know what everyone's got an opinion everyone is you know a lot of people particularly in big corporate life are trying to score points they're trying to you know you know rumors go around you know they're trying to undermine what you do there's there's power battles there's all sorts of stuff going on and it can be very easy to get sucked into that and to let that sort of diminish you and to take your eye off the ball but if you are really passionate about something and you really want to succeed then please please block the haters the people that say it won't work it can't work they are wrong they don't know they they're probably envious and don't let other people's uh psychological issues their their own trauma their own upbringing their own issues actually stop you doing what you want to do and again it's nothing more energy sapping going back to my previous point about energy beats everything it's hard to have energy when you're reading what the haters say about you or what the haters want to happen to you so again don't give them the power don't let them get to you um hopefully there aren't many haters in your life um but what i will say is one of the things that comes with success is a greater uh, amount of hate and i don't know what it is i think people just love to tear down something successful they love to just put that seed of doubt in there they love to come up with a statistic that suddenly makes it look not quite so good rather than acknowledging success and something i've always done as a result of this is if i see someone doing something well boy will i tell them and boy will i be very happy for them in fact i'd go as far to say i now at my stage in my career i'm happier for others for their success than i am for my own and it sounds a bit weird that actually and people have often in my career said oh you know john's got a big ego he's always talking about himself you know he's always kind of doing self publicity you know this sort of thing and genuinely i that's not actually who i am i i i often if I do share something that I've been successful in, I'm often doing it more just to go, oh, look, you can do this as well. This is how easy it is to do. It's not to say, aren't I, aren't I great? So I find great pleasure in seeing other people successful. So don't let the haters get you down. So number eight, um, the 25-year-old uh, John, what, does he, what is he going to do at number eight? Well, number eight is stay the course. And... This is something that I probably learned a bit late, um, but there is a, there is a real truth in compound growth, and what leads to it is is consistency. And if I just take my own podcast as an example, I started my podcast um, three and a half years ago, and the it, it's really accelerated. So the downloads I've you know. I, I suppose I suppose I got you know I, I got excited originally when I got to 100 downloads for an episode I'd go oh wow there's 100 people out there that uh, actually downloaded something I made and listened to it I felt quite proud and then I got to 1,000 downloads an episode and I'm like this is crazy a thousand people have actually bothered downloading some content I made I'm like geez this is this is uh, something's going well here and then recently I got to 10,000 downloads for a single episode, which again is mind blowing. But what's interesting about it is if you look at it, there's there's a there's a there's an acceleration that's happened over those three and a half years. So it, it literally is like a hockey stick curve that the time it took me to go from 100 to 1000, 
I've managed to get to 10,000 much quicker than I got from 100 to 1,000. And it, it's not that I'm better today. I, I may be a bit better. Obviously, I've, you know, I've, I've done 70 episodes now. So you'd expect me to be a little bit better than the first episodes. But there's no way I'm 100 times better. And what, what it is, the difference is, it's the, it's the compound interest that has come from being consistent. Now, any uh, kind of podcast listeners out there might be surprised to know the average podcast has only had three episodes. And apparently, if you get past episode 25, you're in the top 5% of all podcasts in the world. So that just gives you an example that so many people don't stick at it. They try and they give up, but they give up before the point of success. Now, let me tell you another story as well. Um, when I was working back in uh, soft drinks, um, I was working on innovation uh, for a large soft drink business. And I, and I wanted to look at the statistics around how long it takes to be successful. And I looked at 10 years of data, um, the most successful uh, soft drink launches um, in that 10-year period. And something very interesting happened. What I realized was the innovation that's successful after the first year looks very different to the innovation that's successful after five years. Because what happens in this particular market, and I think it might be similar in others, is the the brands that are successful overnight appear to be successful overnight often like uh, pop up and go again. The brands that are really successful in the long time, a uh, long term, sorry, take a lot of time to get going. And but once they do, they really succeed. And it ended up, I ended up concluding this. On average, it takes seven years to have an overnight success. So if I were to ask you, how old do you think Fever Tree Tonics, you know, tonic is? How old do you think, you know, um, Monster Energy is? Very often what happens is people underestimate how old it is. They, they go, oh, well, it's probably five years, 10 years. Often it's 15 or 20. But the, the point is, very few people remember it when it was actually underground when it was not very well known when it was first being launched. And if you look at the curve, if you take Fever, Fever Tree would be a great example, actually. The amount of time they spent going round the top end bars in central London, they did it for years. There was years and years during which they were selling handful, you know, a, a, probably a small number of cases to very high end bars, establishing their reputation, improving the serve, improving the product, getting to know the getting to know the you know the people in the trade, and it is really the hard yards. And I've seen that on the podcast. I've seen it time and time again. So, what I would encourage you to do. It takes longer than you think, but once it happens, it it will be more successful than you think as well. And it really is about being consistent uh, with what you're doing and and continually learning and improving and sticking at it. Just sticking at it will be a huge competitive advantage. So number nine, what's the number nine bit of advice I'd give to the 25 year old uh, self? Um Number nine is it's always about the business. Now, I'm coming at this from a marketer's point of view, um, but I did a uh, I did a finance and economics degree, actually, which is rather unusual for someone in marketing. But I, I actually look back with a level of pride about that, because at the end of the day, marketing is fundamentally about the business. And one thing I'd say to you is if you're thinking marketing is just about the comms or it's just about PR or it's just about products, think again. Marketing is at the heart of the organization. Marketing 
represents the consumer, it represents the customer, and marketing should be the function that delivers business change, business outcome. So if you can't articulate the business benefit that comes from your marketing, you need to learn very quickly. And I can tell you as well, it will really make a difference in your career because so often in my career, I presented a new ad campaign, for example, to a board and they've laughed or they've gone, okay, that's great. Can we see the real thing? Um, because actually, firstly, everyone's a brand manager, right? Everyone's got a point of view on the on, on the on the latest ad. But actually what it is, um, what you need to do as a marketer is you need to present the business case for marketing. And I can tell you, if you do the business case for marketing, you will never be turned down. And, and I've seen the power of it. This is why I am so passionate about marketing theory. And it's why I read a lot. Now, very few people that I've worked with seem to read uh, marketing marketing books. And I, honestly, I'm telling you, it is the biggest hack in marketing. It, there's You could probably just read 10 marketing books and you'll know more than 99% of other marketers. And the ability in a, in a boardroom to go, the reason we're investing in long-term brand building is the long and the short of it and optimizing our ESOV versus our competition, as an example. I'm just you know riffing there. But bringing in the marketing theory into the boardroom conversation will set you apart from so many other marketers. It will also give you confidence. It will give you the confidence to make the right decision. In fact, bizarrely, it's actually why I work at System One. Because when I um, was back, uh, again, being a CMO of a large drinks brand, um, I had to make some pretty big decisions that were worth tens of millions of pounds. And when you're launching a big bit of creative or you're launching a big piece of innovation, you know, you often lack the intel uh, to support the decision. But actually what System One did amazingly was their uh, their testing happens, you know, within hours and it gives you very, very actionable data to go and um, to go and make a decision on. But actually it's not necessarily, it wasn't actually about making a better decision. It was about a business, getting the business to sign the decision off. So I often say to people when we do ad testing, for example, I'm not here to make your ad better. I'm here to make your better ad get made. And actually, in the process of advertising getting signed off, there are a lot of people that are quite rational, you know, whether it's the CFO or the chief customer officer or whoever it is, who are scrutinizing the decision and they're coming at it from a very rational point of view and bringing the data to that conversation can be incredibly powerful. And, you know, I, I've, I've often presented to customers as well and said, here's my campaign for this year, but here's why you need to stock this product because this campaign is going to work and I've got the metrics to prove it. So it's very, very important. So I would say read up as much as you can. And there are some brilliant books and resources out there. Uh, it's the reason I did my podcast on the sense of CMO actually was I want to connect the best thinkers in the world and the best marketing practitioners in the world to you so that just by listening you can learn and absorb from the very best in the world. And that's always been my mission. I'm really, really passionate about this because honestly, there's the marketing profession is low on credibility. Um, that's also, by the way, plug for Mark Ritson's mini MBA, actually. Um, up until now, there has not been a credible marketing training course, so, you know, not, not as credible as he's done it. So um, Mark's course is brilliant and I thoroughly recommend it. And it, it will give you the confidence to argue the case in the boardroom and the belief in marketing as a driver of business results. And uh, it'd be a very worthwhile investment. 
Uh, so number 10, what would be my final advice to my 25-year-old self? Um, it would be this, create your own IP and find a way for that IP to be distinctive and memorable. Now, why do I end on this? Well, I think it's very easy in our career to be working for other people. And uh, obviously, we have to earn a salary and earning a salary usually means, uh, you know, working for somebody. And we can often focus on what we're doing for other people. And I've done that in my career. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it. And I've met some great people. and I've done some great things and done done OK. But I wish I had created my own IP. And it's probably only now that I'm creating a little bit of IP now with, for example, Uncensored CMO. Um, but I would say find what find so find the thing that gives you energy as i said earlier find what gives you energy find the thing in the market that you are brilliant at now i promise you i promise there will be something that you are really good at the thing that your friends go oh can you just do that for me or can i ask you advice on something or at work you always get asked to do or oh we're going to do a presentation can you do it find that thing and be brilliant at it and then find the business that that thing can solve or can improve and also couple that with the thing that gives you energy so imagine you're going what gives me energy combine that with what you know i'm naturally very good at and then find a way to make it distinctive and ownably yours now it might be a consultancy it might be a book it might be a course it might be a product but have a think about it. It might even be your brand in work. I mean, when I, again, going back to many years ago, when I was in a large, uh, large soft drink company, I created this idea of seed brands, for example, which was I wanted to be the guy that took the innovation, the new products and managed them as a separate business within a business to give them the nurture and the care and attention and, and, and the solutions they needed. And in a way, I created my own, you know, my own business really within a big business and, and, and it kind of got its own reputation and it, it did quite well. Um, that was kind of my own IP in a way at the time. And now with the podcast as well, it's, you know, Uncensored CMO was kind of, you know, my take on, you know, my experience as CMO and what I've learned in my career. So think about your own IP because we genuinely don't think about it enough, but you've got to be captain of your own career and think about, you know, how you can do something distinctive, uniquely you, that you get energy from that other people will uh, will remember. So I hope that's been useful. Um, there are, you know, sort of my 10 reflections on the you know things I would uh, tell my 25 year old self. Um, big thanks to Joe for you know letting me ramble on for a few minutes. <laughs> and thank you, too, for inviting me to uh, the marketing meetup. It's uh, it's so energizing to meet people face to face. And uh, look, I think what Joe's done with that is just a big gift to the marketing world. So do soak it up. Um, there are, as I say, there are brilliant events that Joe Joe's put on. There are brilliant podcasts, of course, there's his as well, which is fantastic, and he gets some brilliant guests on it. But do um, do take the time for you. Uh, you know, we spend so many of our waking hours thinking about the business we work for and our uh, the objectives we're set. But I just say, think a little bit about you. Do the long on the short. You know, don't just focus on the short term. Have a little think about the long term and where you're going and uh, maybe try and put uh, a few of those little lessons together. And by the way, just to say, 
if you have uh, if anything's resonated with you you want to chat about it you want to ask me anything then do reach out to me um, you can get me at john at uncensoredcmo.com uh, or uh, my twitter handle is at uncensoredcmo or I'm over on LinkedIn as well uh, John Evans so uh, be lovely to hear from you and I hope you've got something from uh, the 10 things see you again soon take care Yeah. <laughs>